You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Studio 89.7. This talk program focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. And now, here's your host, Philadelphia radio veteran, Paul Perello. Well, if you live in the uh, greater Philadelphia area, you are probably familiar with a little old movie uh, back in the late 1950s that was shot, parts of it shot, in suburban Philadelphia, which may have been one of the first movies actually shot here in Philadelphia. Today, we take for granted uh, movie making and television uh, shows coming to town and uh, are in production here. But back in 1957, 1958, when a movie was shot out in Phoenixville, I guess it was uh, it was a big thing, a big event. And of course, some of the stars, one star in particular who appeared in the movie The Blob, it was uh, pretty uh, fascinating, pretty uh, um, uh, exciting uh, to have this movie being filmed in uh, suburban Philadelphia. But uh, every year there is um, a gathering that takes place at the Colonial Theater. It's called Blobfest. Am I correct, uh, Wes? Mm -hmm. It is Blobfest. And um, lo and behold, people come out in the droves to uh, celebrate this movie that uh, came out in 1958. And now uh, many of the memories of um, of uh, the Blob, the movie in 1958, have been put into book form. Our guest is Wes Shank. And uh, Wes, I want to thank you uh, for spending some time with us here in Philadelphia. That's my pleasure. You have uh, had this fascination uh, with the Blob for how long? Since uh, about 1965. 1965. So um, I'm guessing that were you around or maybe you were a young kid when they did this movie out in Phoenixville at the Colonial Theater? I was a young kid at the time, but I had no involvement with the film. Okay. So what was your interest in? What, how, did you, how did you get so caught up into this blob mania, if you will? Well, since about 1960, my hobby is collecting movie memorabilia. Okay. I collect movie uh, posters, publicity photos, and props and costumes actually seen on screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't see the film when it initially came out in 1958, but I caught it years later in 1965 at a Saturday afternoon matinee, and I went to see it, and I was very impressed by it. And I'm one of those people who sit there and read the film's credits. Right. I saw it was made by a place called Valley Forge Films, and I thought, could there be a studio here in in the Philadelphia area? And uh, so Valley Forge Films was responsible for uh, bringing the blob uh, to the screen in 1958. They were. They were just a little local movie studio that had, until that time, been making 16-millimeter religious films. (laughs) <laughs> so how do you go from, I don't know, that, that's a question, of the, uh, that's the million dollar question. How do you go from making 16 millimeter religious films to uh, making a movie uh, called The Blob? I mean, that's, the, you know, uh, some may say, you know, what went into that thought process? Well, making films that uh, just get distributed to churches and organizations and so on, they, that's not the most uh, profitable enterprise to be in. Sure. So they decided to pull their money. And, and try a science fiction film. They knew at the time that science fiction films and teenagers always went over well at the box office. So mm-hmm. to do a combination of both had to be a hit. 
Yeah. Uh, any indication, at least from your research and your fascination and infatuation with uh, the Blob, why they decided to film this out in Phoenixville as opposed to, you would think, Philadelphia, maybe a more metropolitan area where uh, it wouldn't be that difficult to uh, even have food services. In 1958, I'm guessing, you know, the food services truck weren't elaborate, uh, you know, operations like they are today. But why out there in, in Phoenixville? Well, actually, the stu film studio itself is located in the little town of Chester Springs. Okay. And it's just a couple of miles away from Phoenixville. And so they would use Phoenixville for, uh, that was the closest town, so to speak, sure. to Chester Springs. So they would use uh, locations there for, they used a colonial theater there, actually, on, on Bridge Street to screen their dailies. Mm -hmm. The film that they shot the day before, they would screen there and check it out and so on. Yep. Uh, uh, so the Colonial Theater plays a uh, pivotal role in uh, in the movie The Blob and continues to be, I guess, one of the uh, lasting uh, remnants of uh, the movie in that, uh, you know, the marquee of the Colonial looks much like it did back in 1957 when they they, they filmed the movie. And, of course, mm -hmm. the movie's released in 1958. But the Colonial mm -hmm. Theater, I'm sure, has changed on the inside a little bit. But I know when you do these recreations every summer to mark the anniversary of the movie, it looks pretty much the way that it did back in the late 1950s. You'd be surprised. It really hasn't changed that much right. on the inside. I mean, mm -hmm. yes, they've updated the theater seats, but uh, the rest of it uh, is, is virtually intact and still the same way it was. Yeah. Do many people realize uh, living out there in Phoenixville or maybe even in the greater Philadelphia area, and I know your book will probably go a long way to educating people about the movie and just what a, uh, what a role that Phoenixville and the Colonial Theater had in the making of this movie, but people probably walk by the Colonial Theater a dozen times a day and don't realize just uh, what an important part this theater has in, in contemporary movie making. The newcomers to the area are probably not aware of that, but mm -hmm. the people who've been living there all their lives, they're very much aware of that. Yep. And uh, yeah, they celebrate the, the theater loves celebrating the fact that the, the most famous scene in the film was shot there at the theater. And it's, the theater's over 100 years old and still a viable theater with movies and live venues and so on. It's it's great. Yeah. And, and of course, the, the, the most memorable scene is not necessarily taking place inside the theater, but it happens as everybody's running from the theater <laughs> into the street, right? That's correct. As the, the blob monster towards the end of the film attacks the, uh, the theater goers in the, in the auditorium. Uh, you know, it, it, people go running and screaming out of the front doors of the theater. And yeah. it's the most famous scene in the film. And, mm. uh, and they love to recreate that every year yeah. uh, at Blobfest and you know, for the media, for the newspapers and the, the television crews come out and mm -hmm. have hundreds of people come running and screaming out of the theater. <laughs> now, of all the things that you could collect, and you talked about some of the posters, maybe you know some scripts that you, know, that you may have picked up over the years, um, I, am, am I okay to call you the keeper of the blob silicone, uh, could I call you the, you know, the, the the keeper of the silicone that is the blob? You may. Okay. <laughs> so, how does one get their hands then on the silicone that uh, was used in this movie? I was in the right place at the right time. Uh -huh. I happened to meet the director of the film, Shorty Yeaworth, in 1965. And in fact, he gave me a tour of the film studios out there in Chester Springs. And during the, towards the end of the tour, in one of the, the sound stages, he showed me this black five-gallon can. 
He says, uh, Wes, uh, you know, the blob is in this can. I said, what? And he takes a lid off, and here is this red couple gallons of red sticky substance in here, in, in the can. And it was it's silicone that had been dyed blood red. Uh-huh. And um, he said, this is what we actually use for shooting the film, along with miniature sets to make it look large on the screen. Mm. And so over the next few months, I negotiated with him to try and buy it. And uh, we finally arrived at a price, and I've been the caretaker of the the blob silicone ever since. <laughs> is, is it as uh, gooey and oozy as it was fifty some years ago? I mean, how do you keep it uh, in its uh, in its in its great condition? I mean, you know, I, I know you can't feed the blob silicone. Do you give it silicone injections? I mean, how do you how do you keep it as vibrant as it was? you know years ago yeah i know i can't feed it but you know ever since i've had it i've never had mice in the house so i did <laughs> just wonder but uh no really it's i've talked to chemists i've met some chemists over the years and uh and talked to union carbide too who mm-hmm. actually made the product in the 50s and they said it's going to stay this way indefinitely really yeah, yeah. it's it's just a silicone that's not water soluble it's not going to dry up it moves exactly today the way it did 50 years ago and in fact what i find truly frightening about this poll i thought the blob is going to outlive you and me (laughs) (laughs) that now that is frightening that is that is scary yeah for sure when they set out to create this silicone substance you said that they had people you know chemists engineers helping them come up with i mean or or or, i mean you can't go to central casting and say you know i need a a gooey oozy type substance and, and they just pull it down off the shelf so did they have people actually make this concoction it was a substance that union carbide was making at the time it Mm -hmm. was used for uh involved in making industrial rubber rubber tires and 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 so on but uh it's an obsolete type of silicone today Mm -hmm. but uh i've never been able to determine who got their hands on the uh, on the silicone and and how that was done nobody can remember after all these years but it was shipped from Union Carbide's plant in West Virginia directly to the film studio in Chester Springs. And this is the original container that I have it in. It still has the shipping address on the label. How about that? Now, do you, do, you, do you open the lid every once in a while and let it breathe? Do you take it for a walk? Do you put it on a leash and take it for a walk? Maybe you put it on a wagon, a little red wagon, and take it through the neighborhood. I mean, you know, besides getting out once a year for the Blob Fest, I mean, where does one keep the Blob silicone? Well, I have uh, an entire room at home set aside as a, a mini movie museum. Okay. So All full right. of props, costumes, posters, and so on. Right. And I keep it in there. And it's in its own little locked display case. <laughs> <laughs> and I get it out a couple of times a year, take it to a film conventions where it's a guest of honor. Okay. Um, and and uh, the blob silicone gets along with the other items in your collection. There's no rivalry between the scripts and the posters. You know, the blob that's you know, under lock and key and the posters prominently displayed on the wall. There's, there's no, nah, no nah, rivalry. Nah, nah, <laughs> so, so, so this, this fascination, infatuation then with the blob silicone leads you to write the book from silicone to the silver screen memoirs of the blob, 1958. Mm-hmm. Um, it would seem to me that this was a no-brainer because of your uh, just involvement in uh, collecting memorabilia and your intimate involvement with uh, the movie The Blob. So um, how long did it take you, take you to write this book then and, and put it together in, in the final 
form that I have here in front of me? Uh, it took me about three years to three do years. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is some, a project I've been talking about for 15 or 20 years. Sure. And I finally, and people were, who were involved in making the film were starting to die off. Mm-hmm. I said, like, oh, come on, Wes. If you're ever going to do it, you're going to do it now. Try and get it done for the 50th anniversary of the film, which I didn't do. But that was my motivation. And uh, I, it lit a fire under me. I went and contacted as many. I knew the director for almost 40 years, so mm-hmm. that he had given me so much information over the years, which I was able to finally put down in writing, sure. which nobody had ever done before. I, I tracked down as many surviving cast and crew members as I could. I knew the special effects man, uh, Bart Sloan. I'd known him for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And he, he just he gave me so much information about how the film was technically done and so on. It was, it was, it was great. Yeah. Because every time I put the blob on the spy, the public wants to know, well, how was it done? Mm-hmm. You know, how did you know, just a couple of gallons worth of silicone look so large and, and menacing on the screen? And, and how was this done? And how was that done? I'm answering the same questions over and over again, which I don't really mind. Sure. But I said, oh, hey, when I pass away, a lot of this information is going to be lost. Yeah. So I want to get it down in writing. Yeah. And, and everybody was pretty much cooperative. I mean, was there anybody that said, you know, enough already with the blob? That was, you know, that was before I became a big star. Or that's before I became a big, you know, Hollywood producer or a big you know, special effects person. So everybody was on board with this. They, they had no problems talking to you about it. They were thrilled that finally somebody was putting something down and writing. Yeah. Um, one of the, I guess, one of the big stars that uh, that appeared, and I'm not sure if it was his first major motion picture uh, part or not, was Steve McQueen, right? Yes. It was his uh, third feature film. Third feature film. And it was the very last time he was ever billed in the film as Stephen McQueen. Stephen McQueen. Yeah. So then after this, he's forever known as Steve McQueen. Right. Right. Why did he change his name? Because he was a big star all of a sudden. He decided Mm -hmm. that... It didn't sound so formal. Yeah, it was, it was cooler to be called Steve than Stephen in yeah. the fifties. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the photos that are in the book, um, you know, are these photos that uh, people freely gave up to you? I mean, because you know, whenever somebody writes a book, you can get all the information, but there's always the rights that you have to negotiate, either from the the, the director, the producer, or even the studio involved to put pictures in the book. So, mm-hmm. how did you come upon? Because there's some great candid, you know, black and white shots here uh, that are taken. Looks like right from the press kit of uh, of the movie and then there are you know candid shots of things going on behind the scenes how did you mm-hmm. how did you acquire this uh, without giving away I guess the trade secrets here you know <laughs> how did you acquire some of these photos uh, back in the late 60s I acquired a number of the behind the scenes photos r- directly from the studio mm-hmm. from their photographer out there okay who had the negatives and he made me some prints yeah and then I did locate an archive of other photos that I had never seen before mm-hmm. uh, several years ago out there at Chester Springs really yeah yeah um, and and you know, while while much of we you know we think of the blob the movie with the Colonial Theater, there are other locations in and around uh, Chester Springs and in Phoenixville that are also prominently featured in the movie and also have uh, pages dedicated to them uh, in in your book. Uh, I know there's a supermarket, there's a doctor's house. Uh, the doctor's house, as uh, uh, you know, we would see it today in the photo, uh, it looks almost like the doctor's house that. 
you know, we, we see in the movie. So it really hasn't changed all that much. The Doctors is a beautiful Victorian-type yeah. house. It's just a matter of like uh, uh, half a mile from the theater. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's still there today, and people go to see it all the time, you yeah. know, blob fans. And, and of course, uh, the climax of the film took place at the Downingtown Diner mm-hmm. uh, out there at Route 30 on the west side of Downingtown. Now, now, is, is, the the, is, the, is the diner still located there, or did they... There is still a diner at that location. Right. Uh, however, uh, in sometime during the 60s, the original building that you saw in the film was just uh, taken away, was right. done away with and replaced with a, st- a more modern stainless steel diner. Okay. So from the ground up, it's a different building. Right. But the basement that you see in the film is still there, is still original, and... You don't have the original uh, diner in your backyard in your home out in suburban Philadelphia, do you? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> your wife is behind me laughing. She, she's oh. laughing because she knows if it were available, I'd probably jump at it yeah. and buy it. But <laughs> <laughs> I say that in all jest, but you know exactly where I'm coming from. That's right. Uh, again, the name of the book is From uh, Silicone to the Silver Screen, Memoirs of the Blob, 1958. So the movie is actually filmed in 1957 then and is released in 1958. Right, right? shot during the summer of 1957, released by Paramount in the fall of 58, just in time for Halloween. Was it common for uh, for uh, movies to be made outside of Hollywood at that time? I mean, you know, now, as I said at the beginning of our interview, it, we, we take movie making for granted in Philadelphia because it seems like every week or every month there's another production that rolls into town, and whether it's a movie or whether it's a television show. But back in the 50s, it seemed to me that much of movie making was taking place in California, and so you know, and I understand the you know the proximity of uh, the, the company that made the movie to the location here, but that was pretty much the uh, the exception to the rule, was it not? In the fifties, it was an exception to the rule. Yeah, mm-hmm. there weren't too many films. There had been one other film made in Phoenixville, believe it or not, it was uh, from the terrace, um, but. The Blob, <laughs> a shot in Phoenixville, was uh, a lot more famous. Yeah. How, how, how receptive were um, audiences to The Blob when it was released in 1958? I mean, did it do relatively well at the box office? It was a, a, a big hit. Mm-hmm. It really was. Paramount didn't expect it. Paramount had made a film called, uh, a little black and white film called I Married a Monster from Outer Space <laughs> with uh, Tom Tryon, and, uh, which just despite the corny title. It's a little better movie than it sounds. But they they were, back in the 50s, a lot of feature films were released on, on double feature bills. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for a second film to release with it. Hmm. And uh, so when the blob was offered to them, they, they uh, ended up buying it, but they didn't think it was going to be the big hit that it was. And when they test marketed the film at different theaters, they found that people liked the blob a lot more. And so the Paramount made that the top half of the bill was it common for uh for uh, movies to be made outside of hollywood at that time i mean you know now as i said at the beginning of our interview it we, we take movie making for granted in philadelphia because it seems like every week or every month there's another production that rolls into town and whether it's a movie or whether it's a television show but back in the 50s it seemed to me that much of movie making was taking place in California, and so you know, and I understand the you know the proximity of uh, the, the company that made the movie to the location here, but that was pretty much the uh, the exception to the rule, was it not? In the fifties, it was an exception to the rule. Yeah, mm-hmm. there weren't too many films. There had been one other film made in Phoenixville, believe it or not, it was uh, from the terrace, 
Um, but the blob <laughs> shot in Phoenixville was uh, a lot more famous. Yeah. How, how, how receptive were um, audiences to the blob when it was released in 1958? I mean, did it do relatively well at the box office? It was a, a, a big hit. Mm-hmm. It really was. And Paramount didn't expect it. Paramount had made a film called, uh, a little black and white film called I Married a Monster from Outer Space <laughs> with uh, Tom Tryon, and uh, which just despite the corny title. It's a little better movie than it sounds. But they they were, back in the 50s, a lot of feature films were released on, on double feature bills. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for a second film to release with it. Hmm. And uh, so when The Blob was offered to them, they, they uh, ended up buying it, but they didn't think it was going to be the big hit that it was. And when they test marketed the film at different theaters, they found that people liked The Blob a lot more. Mm-hmm. And so the Paramount made that the top half of the bill what was the um uh, i guess the reaction locally that once this movie now is in theaters in 1958 um was you know did it take the uh, the, the filmmakers locally uh, by surprise that they had had a hit on their hands oh yeah they were absolutely flabbergasted they were very surprised yeah did would that prompt them to try to either do you know today there's always sequels you know and there's you know uh, three peats of you know you know but did this allow them to make any other movie after the blob well the following year they tried their hand at another science fiction film called the 4d man Mm -hmm. with robert lansing Mm -hmm. and uh lee merriweather who had been Miss America back right. in, in the 50s, and this was her first feature film. Mm-hmm. And it was an interesting idea where the, a man gains the power to be able to walk through solid walls and doors and so on, but it, it just didn't do nearly as well at the box office as The Blob. Mm-hmm. The Blob was a much more exciting film because, first of all, it was a, one of the very first color monster movies. So right. to see the monster in its blood-red color on the screen was a little more terrifying and then in the 50s teenagers were typically portrayed as juvenile delinquents they're always getting in trouble with the police and so on in this film they're the heroes they're the good guys and they're trying to wake up the adults in the town saying hey wake up there's a there's a danger Mm -hmm. you know that, that, that you need to take care of and uh they were the heroes so between the two it went well with uh Teenagers who went mostly to the drive-ins sure. and so on to see it. They sit down and they write the story of the of the blob. Um, so where does the blob come from then? I have to admit, uh, I haven't seen the movie. I know they did a remake of it a number of years ago, but um, so where does the blob come from? It comes from outer space. It came from outer space. It comes inside a meteor that crashes to Earth. And, and does it happen to crash into the earth in Phoenixville, or they don't really identify the town okay. so much? All right, uh, it, but it takes place obviously in a, in a small American town, and the whole story takes place in during the course of one night. Mm-hmm. And so the blob then makes its way after it lands here on the earth, it crashes to earth in a meteorite, and then it just mm-hmm. starts to ooze through any town USA. Is that the, the... well? An old man finds it and, and picks it up, and it gets on his hand. And then begins to absorb the old man. It was Olin Howland was the actor. Mm. Um, it, but the, during the course of the film, the more people the blob devoured, 
the redder in color it got from the blood of, of its victims and the larger in size it got. So it starts out very small and actually clear in color at the beginning of the film, and by the end of the film, it's huge and blood red. The, the poster says, indescribable, indestructible, nothing can stop it. So does anything stop the blob? Am I supposed to give away the ending of the film? Mm. Well, we're still here, so I'm guessing that, 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 so that, that if the blob is contained in this can that you have, I guess we're okay. But um, It can be stopped. It can. But it cannot be killed. It cannot be killed. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, so th- when, when Blobfest comes around every year, um, you're reintroducing this iconic movie, uh, the science fiction movie, to new audiences, if you will. So um, when you're out there at uh, the Colonial Theater and they do the recreation and there are a number of events that go on uh, to, to celebrate uh, Blobfest, um, do, do you learn stuff from the people who come to the Blobfest? I mean, because I'm guessing everybody's there for the same reason, because they have this they have this desire to, to participate in the recreation, or there's some interest in the Blob, if you will. So do you learn new facts about this, or have you pretty much heard everything that there is about the Blob and then some? There's always something new to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, over the years, I've met some. Uh, I met the, uh, the sound man who worked on the film and got some knowledge from him. I've talked to some of the extras who were involved in the film. Mm-hmm. I've gotten stories from them. So there's there's always something to learn. Um, yeah, other venues, I've met people who were extras in the film and they were able to identify them. In fact, one guy was able to identify himself in one of the photos. So that, that's me. How about that? And uh, so that that helped me with. Uh, uh, the captions for the yeah. book. Yeah. Now, uh, on the, one of the back pages of the book, there is a picture of you, the poster, and the can. Oh, that's truly frightening. Uh, what the the, the can? <laughs> the or picture the, of me? No, no, no. it's not. It, it's a great picture. But the the can of uh, the blob silicone is uh, uh, is there, and uh, uh, it, it just it, it just seems that you know um, uh, the gentleman that you were talking to at the film company, and this can was just sitting there, even though the the success of the movie uh, was was quite profound at that time that this can just sat there at the at the at the studio and he really didn't understand what it was that was 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 in the can now you're the keeper of the blob silicone so um i guess it's all being at the right place at the right time right it was i mean i was afraid it was going to be thrown out sure hollywood traditionally has a habit of after a few years they take their props and costumes and they they throw them out and so on and so many things have ended up in the dumpsters over the years and i being a film lover and and i'd like to collect these things and try to preserve them for posterity as corny as that sounds sure and i was afraid of the blob at some point being thrown out and some of the miniature sets i was able to get my hands on and and, uh, so i've been able to preserve them and and pass them on yeah and now, uh, the company, Valley Forge Films, is it, right? Uh, they're no longer in business. They've since gone away. Are they still around? No, they, they closed their doors in, in, the, in the 90s, I believe it okay. was. Yeah. Um, and, and so what you've done now is that you have a resource for uh, all those people that want to know everything and anything about The Blob. Again, the name of the book is uh, From Silicone to the Silver Screen, Memoirs of the Blob, 1958. Uh, I'm guessing that uh, uh, people can pick up the book uh, by... Actually, it's not available in bookstores. I it's had to, not. I had to self-publish. Okay. So it's available directly from me. Okay. 
at uh, Wes Shank at Post Office Box 575, Bryn Mawr, PA, 19010. The price of the book with uh, shipping and handling is $28.95. And and the fact that every year Blobfest continues to go on and on and on and on has got to say a lot about the movie and about uh, people like yourself that share the passion for this film. I mean, because it's easy, you know, movies are made and they sort of sit on the shelf and they collect dust as well as movie memorabilia. But uh, especially here in the Philadelphia area, where we've had some iconic movies made recently, you know, we take these movies for granted. And here's a movie still able to gather people once a year for Blobfest out in uh, Phoenixville. It, it says a lot about the people's passion for this movie. It's incredible. I mean, just like the blob in the film grew larger and larger, Blobfest now, after 10 years, is still growing larger and larger. They have about five, 6,000 people at this point that show up every year. It's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, it really is. Well, Wes, I want to thank you uh, so much for your uh, great movie knowledge, your great book, and continue doing what you're doing because there's just a thirst and, uh, and a, a, a desire for information about the Blob, and I'm glad we were able to have this. I've never made it out to uh, Blobfest, but I've read a lot about it, so maybe uh, next summer, when because uh, it's always in the summer, right? The second. Uh, weekend of july the second weekend of july so uh we invite people to come out and i think there's also a, a, a website for Blobfest too uh, right? i think you can go to colonial theater dot org or dot com i'm not sure dot com dot com theater spelled with the re the Correct. english way right so you can go there and you can find out more information about uh, about Blobfest from silicone to the silver screen memoirs of the blob and our guest has been the keeper of the blob silicone west shank west thanks for being with us thank you paul it's been a, my pleasure You've been listening to Studio 89.7, a monthly program that focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. Please tune in on the second Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. for another edition of Studio 89.7, only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.